good evening. As Pastor Matt said, if you guys would turn to Exodus chapter 12, um, Good Friday is this, uh, is this time. Like, I love where Pastor Matt said there's a part one and a part two, that there is this idea that there's, there's not just this night, but this is part of an event that takes place really over three days. In fact, so much so that the author, John, who writes the gospel uh, with his name on it, spends half of his book talking about the final week of Jesus' life. And so as he presses into that final week, as Jesus has turned himself towards the cross, as he follows him into Jerusalem, and through that final week with his disciples, as he sits and spends time with these disciples of his, whom he loves, whom he has cared for, whom he has trained up for the ministry. He sits down, and there's this, there's this point in the midst of that week where he celebrates a meal with them. And as you know, right now, uh, Christians are celebrating Easter. Uh, Jews have been through Passover, and, and, and so we're in that, that place, right? And Jesus has sat down again. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus sits down with his disciples to a meal, a meal called Passover, a Jewish meal, a Jewish tradition that they had celebrated. And as we'll talk about a little bit later, there's, we get to see Jesus celebrate Passover more than once during his lifetime. But this time, as he sits down with his disciples... He does something different. I just wanted to start, at, even out of Matthew, which we don't have, so I'm going to read it to you. Forgot about that. Just Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And Jesus said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared for the Passover. So here we are. Jesus has been telling his disciples, I'm headed towards the cross. I'm headed to my death. I'm going to die. I'm going to return in three days, which clearly the disciples didn't really have a handle on. And to be fair to them, if we were here right now and someone was saying, I'm going to die, but I'll be back in three days, we might struggle to understand it. So Jesus has been telling them and teaching them and pointing in different ways. Sorry, I've got about a half a voice tonight, so forgive me, which is about a half better than I've had all week, so that's good. So Jesus sits down around this meal, this Passover meal with his disciples, and he begins to unfold more about himself. And he takes this thousands of years of history and ritual and practice that every Jewish person would understand, and he sits with his disciples, and he begins to explain to him, to them, that all along this had been pointing to him. And so if you would pray with me one more time, let's unpack Exodus 12 together as it points to Jesus. Jesus, as we come tonight, excuse me, we thank you for the opportunity to be here. Jesus, as we gather tonight, we know it's around your death. And yes, there's a resurrection, and yes, there's Easter. Yes, there's this time coming. As that famous preacher said, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. We remember that there is this name, this Good Friday and that it's only good to us because you suffered and died. It's only good because we don't have to suffer. We don't have to pay the penalty you've paid for us. And so, Jesus, as odd of a name as it is sometimes for us to understand, we know that in you it is good. As the disciples sat a couple thousand years ago, let us sit here tonight, and maybe it's a blessing that the screens don't work and 
And it's just quiet. Lord, may we just sit around that table as you did. As your disciples today, your students, may we sit there as your disciples did. May we gather around this meal and may we listen with ears to hear really who you are for us. Jesus, we love you because you first loved us. Speak to us tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Exodus 12. If you have a Bible, your Bible app, um, we'll start with verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, and I want to pause there just to get us caught up to the story. So God is speaking to a prophet named Moses. God has called Moses, who was on the run for murder, out in the middle of a desert, was not a worshiper of God's, and God begins to speak to Moses. God gets Moses' attention. He calls him to himself. He begins to reveal himself to Moses, and he sends him back into Egypt. Now, many of you know who Moses is. There are movies and and many things written. This is a a children's story that's common, and so we kind of have a paradigm for who Moses is. But if you've never heard or have never known anything about the man Moses in the Bible, here's what you need to know for tonight. For hundreds of years, Israel had been enslaved to Egypt. And this is it when Egypt under their pharaohs had, had kind of reached the height of who they were as a kingdom. And Israel was their slaves and they were living in Egypt, enslaved in Egypt. And they had gone there because of a famine and they had stayed for a long time. And now the story kind of meets us with Moses. And Moses had been called by God to go back into Egypt to deliver the slaves, to deliver Israel from slavery. And so he's gone back in and he's spoken to Pharaoh. Now there's more to the backstory, but he was raised in Pharaoh's home. And so he knows Pharaoh and he knows the culture of Egypt and he understands what's going on. And he goes back in really with this bold proclamation that God, a real God, not the gods of Egypt, but another God, God who spoke to Moses is calling Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the planet, to release his workforce, his Slavery, his, his free workforce. So Moses has gone in and Pharaoh has done everything but laughed him out of the palace, I'm sure. And as he says no time and time again, what God does is sends Moses back in. And each time Moses goes back in, there's plagues. And there's a plague over the entire land. And one time it, it, they go in and it's, it's water turned to blood that the Nile River that runs through Egypt is literally turned to blood. In other words, gnats and, and just there's all these horrible things that take place. Boils on their skin. Just, there's these things that go on that God does to judge Egypt. And Pharaoh waffles between these two points, one of wanting to release them to get these things to go away, and another is this greed of hanging on to them. And so here Israel sits, powerless, in the middle, enslaved to Egypt, nothing they can do about it, as God continues to wreak havoc on Egypt. So God tells Moses, I want you to go back in this time, and you're going to go back in. This will be the final plague. This will be what does it. I want you to go back in and tell Pharaoh, listen, here's what's coming. And so it's at that point, as God is speaking, it says this, The Lord said, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each 
can eat, and you shall make the count for the lamb. So simply put, God tells Moses to go tell the people of Israel, enslaved in Egypt, that God is going to break Pharaoh at this moment. And here's what he's going to do. He says, now I need you guys all to take a lamb. Those who were too poor would buddy up with their neighbor and they'd grab a lamb. And they were to bring this lamb into the home. And this lamb will become a sacrifice that will cover the doorways. And so God's going to unfold this to them. He's going to say, here's what you do. So God is speaking to Moses. Moses will then go and tell the people of Israel, here's what you will do. And in this way, I will know that you're mine and you're not Egypt. You will identify yourself as mine and not with Egypt. And here's how I will pass over you. And so he says this, verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And so really what he's saying is, I want your best lamb. God always calls us to give him our best. Right? A lot of times, I know for me, even thinking on my way in here, I've been, I've been at home sick this week and just thinking through my week. And there's nothing inherently evil about this week or me, but there was really nothing good about it either. There was not this time at home where I'm, I'm at home sick or whatever and, I, and I'm praying or I'm doing that. There was just a lot of time on a couch. And I just, I was thinking about this. God, as God demands our best, I just confessed to God, like, I just haven't given you my best this week. Like, I just haven't given much of anything at all. And so what God is saying here in this setting is this lamb I don't need your old one who's ready to die over here. I don't want the one that's diseased and blind over here. I want a one-year-old, spotless, blemishless lamb. And I want you to bring this lamb into your home. Verse 5, excuse me, verse 6. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So they're going to take this lamb into their home, and they're going to bring it in and love on this lamb and take it into the home and treat it almost like a family member in the home, not out with the rest of them. This one is going to be brought in. And then there's going to come a time where they must kill this little lamb. And I have to imagine that this bringing of a lamb inside is really to kind of connect with it a bit more, to kind of care a little bit more than all the lambs you may have outside that they would just identify a little bit more with this lamb and that, that it would make a, a bit more of a statement or it would mean a bit more when the time comes to slaughter this lamb. That there would be some emotion tied to it. That this death would not just be routine like we grow these animals for food and then we eat them. It wouldn't just be that. That there would be more of like this, this is costly. Verse 7, it says, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. And so I just, as a way of picturing this, here's what happens. So a typical Jewish house would have a door in the front. And there would be, again, this is long before underground sewage and running water and all these things. And so they would just have these, these dips or these divots in front of their doorway. There would be kind of this low point to keep things from coming in and, and rolling out. or They would just have this point with this gathering space. And what they would do, in this case, this would never happen. They would slaughter animals outside far away. But in this moment, they were to take this little lamb and they were to slaughter it, to, to, to kill it right there in the doorway. And so literally what you're seeing is a pool of blood building up just at the foot of the doorway. 
And they would take these hyssop branches and they were to paint over the top, the mantle of the doorway, and the two sides. And so really what you see, and, and not to give away the end that you probably already know, what you see is a cross, right? What you see is, is blood below, blood above, blood on both sides. And this is what they're doing. They're, they're forming this thing over their doorway. And so they're to slaughter the lambs, to bleed the lambs there, and to paint on the doorpost and on the top this blood. And God says, this is what I'm calling you to do. And when I take out this last part, when I take this last action against Egypt, when I do this, I'm going to pass over you. And this is how I'll know you're mine, by this symbol, by this blood that covers your home. Verse 8, it says, Then they shall eat the flesh at night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, and they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted with its head and its leg and its inner parts. And so really what God is doing is saying, Here, here's how I want you to cook it. And they're going to roast it. They're gonna, really, they're going to barbecue the lamb, right? And this is going to be their meal. And so not only are they going to cover their doorways, it's not just utilitarian, but this is also a meal. And so they're going to gather this. They're going to have this meal together. And this lamb who has lived with them, this lamb who they, they bled at their doorway, this lamb whose blood they literally painted on the doors, this is their barbecue. This is their meal as a family. And for those that were poor or those that were smaller families, they would buddy up with a neighbor and they'd have this animal and they would have this meal together. And this would be, as God is going to unpack, this is what I want you to repeat every year. Verse 10, it says, And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. And in this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. He's calling them to eat this meal ready to leave their home. We want you to have this meal. We want you to, par to participate in this. We want you to do this thing. But as you do it, understand you're doing this in faith that I am going to deliver you from slavery. And so there's a death, there's a sacrifice, there's a meal. There's this belief that I, something on the other side of this is taking place, that God is doing something in this moment that will deliver the Israelites from slavery. And so he calls them together. He gives them explicit directions and calls them to this Passover meal. And again, Passover is just God, really death, passing over these homes, these homes that are covered by the blood of these lambs. Verse 12, God says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. If you know any of the backstory here, when, when God reveals himself to Moses and tells Moses, Hey, I'm going to send you back into Egypt, the question that Moses asks God is, Well, who should I say sent me? And I love God's answer. You tell him, I am sent you. Yeah, they've got all these gods in Egypt, but you tell them I am. They are not, and I am. And as he tells Moses again, he says, I'm going to execute judgment not just on Pharaoh, but on all man and all beasts. I'm going to execute judgment on their gods. And they would worship some of the things in Egypt, like the Nile, some of their animals, even Pharaoh himself. 
The belief was that Pharaoh and his son that, that came after him were living gods. And so God says, the I am, I, I will take vengeance on all of them, including their gods. He says, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the lamb, the land of Egypt. So God says, here it is. I know that Pharaoh has gone back and forth saying, I'll release the, the slaves and now I won't. I'm going I'm to release them. I'm going to let you guys go. Oh, no, I'm not. And he keeps changing. They've been through all of this. And now God says, this is the final time. This is the time where God will release the slaves. And so he goes to him. He says, listen, here's what you do. You have all of this. You've covered your doorway. You've had this meal. You've prepared yourselves. You've gotten ready. You're eating it in faith, believing God is taking you out of here. And then when you go, when you lay down, death will come in and sweep over all of Egypt. But wherever I see that blood, I will pass over you. It says, this will be the day, verse 14, for you, a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. I like reading through these things in the Old Testament. And, and I remember just being a younger Christian and asking the question, okay, it says, you will do it, you'll repeat this every year forever. And then he's going to say it like three or four times. Like God's not kind of thinking about it, but clear on the idea, you'll do this forever. You'll remember this forever. And I remember just as a young Christian asking the question, why don't we celebrate Passover anymore? Now, if you've been around the faith for a long time, you already have an answer for that. But if not, we'll get there. But I remember just listening and seeing this and understanding and then watching as Jesus does it also and watching throughout history as we see Passover taking place and even those who had wandered away from God, when the entire nations would wander away from God and he would call them back, they would, they would start again with Passover. They would get back to celebrating this. And so I hear these words. It says, listen, I want you to pay attention to what you're doing. You're going to do this every year. You're going to remember this. This is going to be something you're going to teach your children. You're going to celebrate this every year as a celebration of faith of what God has done here. Verse 15, it says this. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. You've got to know a lot more about Jewish culture for this to make a whole lot of sense. But leaven, if you know what leaven is, it makes that bread rise, right? If you know what that is, leaven in Judaism was often used as a representative of sin, right? That leaven will fill everything it comes in contact with. That I, however that works, I don't cook. I couldn't begin to tell you that, but I understand what they're saying. And in Jewish culture, even as Jesus would speak, he would say things like, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And he was speaking to their hypocrisy and he was speaking to their sin. And he would remind them that there was this image used of sin. It's getting louder behind me and I'm trying to ignore it. Doing really good, right? Okay, yeah. good. Doing a great job. Yeah, all right. So he says, here's what you do. I want you to remove the leaven from the home. It's just a reminder. Again, this was to be repeated year in, year out. It was this reminder of the removal of sin, of the repentance of sin, of the, the ridding our lives of things that are contrary to our life in, in, in God. 
Verse 17, it says, And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. So again, God's saying, listen, God's acting as if this is already done. Like this is a statute. This is going to be remembering how God delivered you from Egypt. But they're still in Egypt. But God continues to tell them, this is what we're doing, and this is why you're doing it, and this is what I'm going to do, and this is where we're headed, and then when I do this, this is the thing you will remember me by, and you'll do it in this way, and everything had meaning to it. We watched Jesus celebrate, uh, celebrate about four Passovers in his lifetime in the, t- in, the, in the pictures of the Gospels. We get to see four different ones. But the one that we're talking about tonight, the one at the end of his life is different. And Jesus sits down with a meal with his disciples and he begins to say some of the very same things. And he's saying it in this context. Listen, this is going to be a night you're going to remember forever. And this night has meaning for you and you're going to repeat it over and over again because here's what I'm going to do. And Jesus tells this to his disciples. So back to Israel, it says this, verse 19, for seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person should be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. God is repeating himself. He's saying two things over and over again. One, you're going to do this every year forever. And you're going to do it in such a way that you remember what I've done for you. And the second thing he repeats over and over again is the removal of leaven. And again, if you're a Jew in this culture, this completely made sense. That this was imagery that reminded us that sin creeps in, sin permeates everything, that it, that it gets into everything, ruins everything, and it, re, and it reminds us that there is a removal of sin. There's a time where we need to separate ourselves from all things that have drawn us away from God. Verse 21, it says, Then Moses called all of the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin. Touch the lintel and the two doorposts and the blood that, with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out the door of this house until morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Everything up until this point from God has been to Moses and Aaron, telling them to go tell the people of Israel. And now it is God saying, here, now do it. Up until this point, it's been instruction, and now it is that moment where God is saying, now is the time, now go. He says, I want you to go, and I want you to take that lamb. And tonight is the night where you kill that lamb and you paint the lintel or the mantle and the doorpost from that lamb that was bled out at your doorstep. And I want you to bring that lamb in and I want you to eat that lamb. And tonight, tonight is the night you prepare for what I'm doing for you. In a lot of ways, that's what Good Friday is. In many ways, what Good Friday is, is preparation for Sunday. It's a time for the church to gather together to sit and prepare ourselves for Easter. To prepare ourselves knowing that there is death, but there's resurrection on the other side. That Jesus would go and endure the cross. 
that he would suffer and die, that Jesus would walk through the days in front of him for me and for you. That Jesus had entered into human history, that God had become flesh, and Jesus had walked into our story, into human history, and Jesus then lived our life, and he did it apart from sin. Jesus lived the way you and I are called to live, but you and I have fallen short of. And so Jesus engages our story. Jesus enters our world. Jesus engages our history, our story, and he lives the way we are called to live. And then right at the end of this life, he says, now listen, now I will go and trade my life for yours. I will go and suffer the penalty for sin. I will go and take your death. And so he sits around a meal with his disciples who are clearly wrestling to understand what he's saying. And as clear as he has said this over and over again, they're not understanding. They're seeing him as Savior. They're seeing him as God. They're seeing him as King. And they're not understanding, well, how, how are you then going to die? And Jesus said, but I'll return in three days. They're like, okay, I'm not any clearer on this. Like, I'm not understanding what you're saying. But you are our King. You're our God. Like You're our Savior. You're the one that God has promised for thousands of years of prophecy and promise. And, and, and you're right here. We know it's you. You've agreed it's you. We've found out it's you. We were slow, but we finally got caught up. And now you're going to die. How are you, God? How are you, our Messiah? How are you, our Savior? How are you, our King? And you're going to die. And he says, listen, here's what I need you to do. And he sits around a table with them and begins to un, just kind of unpack Passover to them. Let's wrap this up. Verse 28 says, then the people of Israel went in and did so, and the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So when they did, and at midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon. And all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, and he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Egypt was, to this point in history, maybe what we are to our point in time. It was the most profound most powerful nation on the planet. It was the lead, really, very different than us today, but it was the lead of an empire. They oversaw nations. And at the top of that was a pharaoh, a king, again, who was treated as if he was God, who was believed to be a living God. And that night, as the Jewish slaves sat inside, fully dressed, falling asleep after a meal where they had just where they had just slaughtered a lamb and painted their doors. As they fall asleep, as things start to wind down, it gets really dark and quiet. Death comes ripping through Egypt, and literally the firstborn of Pharaoh's house, all the way down to prisoners and animals and everything else, death. Every family says, for not a house was found that didn't have a death in it. We've experienced some, some challenges in our country, whether it be shootings or uh, terrorist attacks or everything back to 9-11, all those different kinds of things that we've endured, if you're old enough, back to Pearl Harbor, the different things that we've endured, where it seems like we, we've known someone 
San Bernardino shooting was a lot closer. Some of us knew someone, or Vegas. This is every home had a death. Every home had a death. Except the house of Israel. Except the homes of Israel. Because on the outside of those doors was this blood, this blood of a lamb. That the meal that they had eaten that night, that that one-year-old, spotless, most priceless lamb that they had brought in and lived with, as they had walked through these steps, get remembered, and God said, listen, I want you to do this in faith. And the reason they did this, in, the reason we know that they had to do it in faith is they had to be dressed, they had to be ready to go. That they were ready to move when God said move. And so God sweeps through and kills all of the people that are persecuting them enslaving them, the sin that has contained them, the injustice that was done to them, and God puts an end to it in one night. See, the cross does the same thing. Where Jesus hangs on a cross, we see the same idea, we see the same symbolism, we see, we see what God has given us, and as John the Baptist, the, the, the one who comes before Jesus, when he sees Jesus, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. At that one point, after, after prophets had gone quiet for hundreds of years, after those who spoke for God had gone quiet, and the first thing to be said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And just like that night, just like Passover, Jesus will go to a cross and die. The perfect Son of God will hang between heaven and earth, between God and humanity, and death will pass over those who are marked by his blood. So Jesus gathers his disciples, his disciples who are fully understood Passover, who they understood that there was a lamb, that there was slavery, that there was Egypt, there was Pharaoh, there was Moses. They understood the blood on the doors, and they had practiced this for the years that they had been alive. They were all Jewish. They came from Jewish families. They all understood this. But what they didn't understand, that Jesus was the one who would fulfill this. See, as a younger Christian, I asked the question, why don't, we, why don't we do this anymore? Like, why don't Christians do Passover? And I know that some Messianic Jews, I know that they still practice the feast. There's nothing wrong with that. But in the bulk of Christian churches, Passover is not kept. And it took a while for me to understand that there are no symbols from the Old Testament that require blood that are still kept today. And I was like, okay. Because Christ's blood has satisfied it. Because that lamb never saved anyone. That year old lamb never saved anyone. It was a foreshadowing of Christ to come that when Jesus would hang on a cross, his blood would cover us. That sin and death, that it would pass over us if we're in Christ there's no need for blood anymore. And so Jesus hangs, Jesus places this identity in this meal before he goes to the cross. So here's what he says. In Matthew also 26, it says this. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. 
I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. As a church, we, we participate, we, we take communion, we celebrate communion weekly, primarily. And we call this a meal for the followers, a meal for the believers. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. And if you're not, this is something that the family, the, the, the body of Christ, the, the family, those who believe in Jesus, who have placed their life into Christ, that is something that we practice. And as Jesus sat with his disciples tonight and he tied those thousands of years of history into a meal, and he began to tell them another, another way that they could understand the cross, which would all for them, after it all took place, begin to make sense. I'm going to ask the elders that are serving or whoever's serving tonight, would you guys come up, please? And Brandon, will you hand out this? I don't want to do that. And Joe and Stephen or whoever, will you guys come on up? So here's what we're going to do tonight. And maybe it is just a great night for the, the screens to be off and it just to be quieter. But I'm going to have the elements brought to you rather than the way we normally do it where you come forward. And I want you to take the bread and I want you to take the cup and we just hang on to it for a minute. And I want you to just imagine yourself that night with Jesus and his disciples as he begins to explain, no, this, this, this is my body. No, this is my blood. Go ahead, you guys. As he begins to explain to them another understanding of what they had been celebrating and what they had looked forward to. I'm going to read you the verse that we use uh, often when taking communion as a family, just taking communion together. And it's what was passed 